and welcome back to Hey Look Listen. My name is Liam Sheen and I'm joined here by Kevin O'Carroll. Kevin, welcome to Hey Look Listen. Thank you very much, Liam. Pleasure to be here as always. It's been a while since we've recorded because we technically like just took off Halloween. We posted mm-hmm. what is essentially amounts to a clip show. Yep. So we just took away, but even we had kind of our episodes recorded before that. So it's actually been ages since I've sat, I sat down to do a podcast, uh, you know, you know, I'm wondering if I can do it anymore. Yeah. Um, I believe in you. Um, yes, don't know if anyone else nothing. does, but we'll ne- It's never meant anything. You're believing me. That's, <laughs> That's the <fair>. thing. <laughs> now, I don't know if it's, I, I, no, it's okay. It's okay. But like, look. It's been a while since we 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 talked like semi frequently. Kev, we're always chatting with each other. We're we're mm-hmm. close friends, so I, I know. Keep telling you to stop messaging me. It doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about you, Kev, is you can dish it out as well as you can take it. Am I right? What banter? What, let's see. We're back into podcasting already. Quality. What bands. I was it's like falling <laughs> off a bike. <laughs> what I was going to say is, um, it's been a while since we recorded. You've had a bit of a. Um, that's not good vibes, but you've had a bit of a life event since we've, we've recorded recently, haven't we? Yeah, so um, as some of the listeners of the podcast might know, I live in Middleton County Cork here in Ireland. And as some of the Irish listeners who may have seen the news over the last couple of weeks might know, um, Middleton was briefly underwater. The, really? um, the entire town did a little bit of a flood. Um, for about a for about a twelve hour period, the local river decided to redirect itself down the main street of the town. Um, so, like I'm joking, but it has been fairly fairly tough on the community. Yeah, here. a lot of a yeah, yeah. lot of businesses haven't reopened yet. A lot of them probably won't. The majority of people were kind of okay because the power town it was. There's a lot of maybe older houses, but it was mainly commercial, and the people in the older houses. Even if the downstairs flooded, they still had, you know, bedrooms and stuff upstairs. So it was mostly the people in, um, let's say, I don't know, ground floor apartments right in the middle of it um, mm-hmm. who ran into issues. Um, basically, in the space of about 30 minutes, um, the water was not there and then it was there and then it was inside. And um yeah, stressful time, scary time. Um, we were, you know, temporarily, technically, you know, homeless, which not ideal. Um, but we, you know, fortunately, we were able to get out. Um, a lot of stuff was lost, but at the end of the day, it's just stuff. Um, myself, my partner, and the cat were able to get out okay, and we have a, a lovely That's place it. that we're in now. But um, yeah, it's a it's a bit of a weird one to be. You know, spending my spare time hosting a video game podcast when I no longer own any physical video games. Oh, they've no. all they've all been taken by Poseidon. <laughs> Back from Wednesday came. Yeah. Now my heart really does go out to you because like I have a weird connection to my video game collection. So I yeah. understand the pain. I really do. Like I've just like you're right. I love your attitude. They are only things you, your girlfriend, your cat are safe, but man, you had a class collection, dude. Yeah, yeah. I, like, every now and then I think about one of them and I'm like, you know, I had the the limited edition Link's Awakening that came in the steel book that was in the shape of an original Game Boy. Like that that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. No, no. But fuck, I want it back. Uh, well, thank God the world is just edging slowly, ever so closer to like physical media being gone. You know, games are getting so much harder to buy physically. So I don't know. Is that something? 
I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's not nothing. Like if you look at the sort of the the upcoming mid generation refresh for the the current gen consoles, like the 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 new Xbox is not going to have a disc drive at all. The new PlayStation, I think, is going to have a, a detachable disc drive. Um, so I mean, the the market does seem to be skewing away from physical media. Which kind of makes me feel all the more like I wanted to hang on to the stuff that I had. You know, when I said it, that that occurred to me in my head. I was like, wait, no, there's a much more worse angle to take on this. <laughs> you know, yeah, no, Something I said me, wasn't reassuring at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, trust me, I, I've got all the worst angles covered already. Oh. Um, but yeah, it's 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 been a weird time. Um, but come here, I'm delighted. Like the- I, I'm delighted you're able to just you know still make it on the podcast you're you're clearly set up again you know so you're able to i'm I'm happy to have you here despite all the 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 trouble you know yeah it's true like all my books records video games clothes furniture were underwater but you better believe i grabbed that blue yeti podcasting mic carrying it over my head like the fucking world cup trophy i don't want to make assumptions but you're nothing without hey look listen so that had to be the first thing you grabbed right yeah, I mean, three and a half decades on this planet, I haven't managed to develop a personality, but at least I have a podcast, so I'll take that. <laughs> oh, we laughed because it was a really bad thing that happened. Yep. Uh, I suppose before we, we move on to it, I just want one thing I want to say, because um, like, I know some people listen to the podcast. Um, uh, a lot of people have reached out to me uh, over the last couple of weeks. They've been hugely supportive, so I do, like, if I can just sort of drop the mask for a moment and be sincere just do want to like give a heartfelt thanks to, to anyone who's reached out um it has meant a lot it's been a difficult time and it's sort of through the support of friends particularly the the few who've been around middleton have been really helpful sort of with us dragging the what remains of our lives out of the mud um mm. literally and metaphorically uh it's just it's yeah it's just it's meant a lot i guess fucking wholesome man yeah. Now let's talk that, about tits and games and shit. Yeah, is that, is that the end of the sincerity? I'm almost yeah. kind of, you know, I'm almost nervous to ask. No, not really, but have you, like, this is the part of the podcast where we talk about what we're playing. Have you been able to play games recently, despite everything? Up until, like, a couple of days ago, no. Um, mm. Basically, the, the consoles, not to bore people with the details of it, but the consoles I was able to save but not the, any of their power leads or the HDMI leads. And also the telly, the TV is, um, it's 50-50 on whether it's going to work again. We kind of have it in storage at the moment. So the one thing I was able to save was the Switch, which had like a river of water ran through it. And this thing just worked anyway. The Pro Controller and the Joy-Cons all gave up, but the actual console itself worked. So I, um, I invested in this uh, bit of post-flood pick me up self-gifting a thing called a nitro deck mm-hmm. which is this giant heavy piece of plastic that basically functions like a wired pro controller that you insert the switch into that basically makes it about the size and weight of a steam deck it's got like a hall effect joysticks so no more joy-con drift it's got like remappable back buttons um it's just got a real satisfying heft to it so as of the last couple of days i have been back playing switch games at least um yeah, so basically I've played two games recently, one of which I strongly recommend to you, Liam, um, and I do think you'd love, one of which I think you'll be actively disappointed in me for how much I'm enjoying it. Which one would you like to hear about first? I want to be disappointed. Okay. Yeah. Marvel Snap. Oh, well, that's good for the topic we're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's save good it. for the topic we're doing. <laughs> Absolutely save it. 
What's the other one? Yeah. <laughs> the other one is um, <laughs> Chance of Senar. Excuse me? Chance of Senar. It's a is- it's a puzzle game. Um, it's done in sort of a isometric camera angle. The art style is very reminiscent of, do you know, Mobius, like the Incal? Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's that, that very striking art style. And it's basically a puzzle game loosely based on the fall of the Tower of Babel. So you... <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. It's a puzzle game where you kind of Obra Dinn style have to piece together Stop. the language of the people you're talking to by completing a journal and working out from context what the symbols mean as you go along. So it's a combination of like talking to people, investigating clues. There's some like um, light inventory puzzle stuff, point and click style going on. It's very, very clever. It's very pretty. It's very fun. And I strongly recommend it. I don't want to say too much about it because it's one of these games where finding out what the game is doing is part of the joy of it. Um, what I will say is it's not perfect. There is, There are these like obligatory really clunky um stealth sections that like video games just need to get rid stop putting stealth sections into your games unless you're making a stealth game and if you're making a stealth game maybe don't um (laughs) so there's the stealth sections aren't great there's one bit where you literally have to play flappy bird um to Mm -hmm. progress the game and it's really clunky and it doesn't play very well um but outside of a couple of weird swings and misses like the core of the game is very good. You kind of you're deciphering the language using this journal that you're filling out, and it's in the same style as Oberdin. You have to solve three time before the game will tell you if you've gotten any of the three right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're kind of you're frantically like writing notes within the game's journal that you, you you type in using the keyboard what you think the word means, talking to people, working out from context whether you think that's right. Eventually, like you're confident enough that you slot in your three guesses. Uh, if you've any one of the three wrong, you get no feedback at all. So it is, it, it's a real brain burner. And it, like I said, it's really pretty. But um, yeah, strong recommend. Sounds like something I'd love. I've never, I haven't even heard of that. Speaking of things I hadn't even heard about until you came into my life. Ooh. I was um, visiting your place. I didn't read to bring up your place again. Yeah, Sorry. about 48 hours before it was underwater. Yeah, I was visiting Kev 48 hours before everything went to shit, basically. And uh, we were just um, playing on his... Um, on his Xbox, he was showing me Game Pass. And he was like, oh, by the way, have you played this? And I was like, Kev, I haven't even heard of this. And he was all like, man, this is from the maker of Inside. Mm. And I was like, excuse me? I, like, I don't know how um, I missed out on this. So one of the recent games I've played is Cocoon. Yeah. And I know you've played it too. Um, it's basically, yeah, it's it, it, it's a new studio. It's their first game, but it's from the designer who did, who worked on Inside and he worked on Limbo. He used to have another partner and they kind of had a big falling out, didn't they? Um, so the company yeah. that made uh, Play Dead don't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, it's a difficult one to conceptualize, Kev, isn't it, Cocoon, in terms of explaining its its concept. Um, yeah. It's like a really, really good, really, really clever puzzle game, like really mysterious sci-fi setting. You kind of play as a little bug boy. It's a world that has no interest in explaining itself. It's kind of, you know kind of a very vague narrative told through its visuals and its world building um but my favorite thing about it is its central mechanic which if i can start like in in, (laughs) to kind of simplify it you have different orbs Mm -hmm. that you carry on your back and each orb has a different power attributed to it the orange orb can make uh, light bridges appear in certain spots to make you get to places you couldn't before the green orb can make you kind of phase up and down these kind of translucent towers 
the white one can shoot projectiles if you if you're standing in certain spots. So there are basically items that have different functions. Yep. But they're not only the items; they're also the game's levels. So if you put them on certain pedestals, you can jump inside them, and then it becomes an Inception style, like levels within levels, and you have to bring one orb into another orb. And I'm finding it so difficult. I remember when you showed me the trailer, Kev. Even I couldn't kind yeah. of. I couldn't understand what I was seeing. It wasn't glad the controller in my mind. In my mind. It wasn't glad the controller in my hand. It wasn't glad the controller in my hand that I could actually get it in my mind about how this works. I thought it was one of my all-time favorite central mechanics I've ever seen um, a game yes. built around. I thought it was absolutely genius. I loved the way it slowly builds on its ideas. Um, you know, you learn it, it you know, when, when just when you're sussing it out and learning how this game works, it throws a new wrinkle at you, another kind of yeah. mind-bending way that th- these mechanics can work. It's almost a game. In, this year has so many kind of, you know, big AAA game of the years. It's going to be remembered as one of the like busiest games for, busiest year for games that people have just loved. Absolutely, yeah. C- Cocoon is almost one of those games where I'd be like putting on my glasses going, oh yeah, you think, you know, Zelda or Spider-Man is game of the year. You haven't played this indie classic Cocoon. I just think it's it needed to go a little bit further for me. I feel like yeah, there's it, like a two-hour ending to that game where it all kind of comes together, where it kind of all the mechanics are tested and built on, and you just have this brilliant puzzle-heavy like final two hours that just wasn't there. The game just ends abruptly, and it left me cold. And I say that as a compliment because I was enjoying it so much is why I, I felt so cold. And it actually probably dropped the game down from a 10 out of 10 to a 9 out of 10 for me, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. I think it is a game that the idea had more legs. I yeah. think I think even off the top of my head, I could probably spitball things that they could do with it. And I'm a big old dum-dum. So if the people who designed <laughs> this game put their minds to it, I'm sure that they could come up with... Yes, it's just that the, the core mechanic is so good. And the idea that each orb is a tool that can be used in a unique way within levels and then also a level itself that you can bring the other orbs into. Once you have that setup, you can just you could iterate on that infinitely. Like you could just keep adding new orbs, creating new wrinkles, new puzzles to solve, or even stick with the orbs that they have by the end of the game, but just have like a final act where the complexity ramps up a little bit more and it really, um, really tests you. I never felt throughout the game that there was any bit that really stumped me for long. That's not, that's not me bragging. Again, to refer to my previous statement, I am a dum-dum. Um, but yeah, I think it, it could have it ramped up in difficulty and complexity towards the end and that would have gotten it over the line from that that nine to a ten as you say i i hate to be a sassy boy and i almost feel the game is, is so kind of like genius that i feel kind of like a bit of an asshole to be like you know telling them what to do but honestly i would have cut anything that didn't iterate on that central mechanic that central mechanic is like so clever i wanted the whole game to be that so there's a kind of a light motif of puzzles where you have to hit hit um objects in certain orders to make um to, to gain these items there's these bits where you, you get you fly up and you have to hit projectiles quickly before they fall oh yeah stuff like that mm. and stuff for like okay. that and it, which is fine which is actually not a huge criticism but speaking as if this is like this is a game that i think ended too quickly i now kind of retroactively feel that those bits were kind of a waste of time i would have pared it down 
to its purest form. I would add everything you're doing about taking levels inside other levels and mixing and matching. Because I thought what was there for what it lasted was like genius. Really, really great game. Really, really great game. But I, I don't know. I'm like, like I said, like I use the word sassy. I feel like I'm being a bit sassy to complain about it because it was brilliant game design. But um, yeah, I know what you mean. Pure, there's a pure, better version of that game that exists in my mind. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I know we have to move on and actually talk about the today's topic, but just before we do, <laughs> one thing that really impressed me with Cocoon is um, how the developers can make something so complicated that requires you to think on multiple levels, but also kind of subtly gets the guardrails up around you so you can't get lost. There's yeah. so many times where you move into a new area and like the platform that you use to get there won't bring you back. Or you go through a gate, but you can't pass back through it while carrying an orb. So you know that you need to progress forward. It's just, yeah. it's, it's, it's a really, it's really subtle. And it's really well done because it's something that without that guidance, it would have been completely inscrutable, but they just, they keep you moving in the right direction using kind of environmental prompts and things in a way that I found really clever. Yeah. Just kind of holds your hand just enough to not be overwhelmed. Yeah. I had a great time. I played it in like 45 minute chunks over a long mm. period of time. But I think it could be a game you could do in one sitting, like a great like, afternoon as well. So it's, it's only about four or five hours long, you know? Yeah, I think I, I played I, it in two sittings. And yeah, I think that's that's the ideal way. That's that's the recommendation. So folks, if you are going to try pick this up or, or play it, um, it's on Game Pass as well. So if, if you're on the, the Xbox side of things, you don't need to pay anything for it. Um, sit down and play for like two hours straight and you will be rewarded. Yeah. Before we get on to the main event, I will say as well, um, in terms of what I'm playing, Kev, I'm currently playing Alan Wake 2. Oh, yes. And I'm not going to talk about it. But what I will say is that I'm doing... I'm doing <laughs> right? That's the content people come, come in here for. That's a hook um, that people will have to subscribe to the podcast <laughs> to find out what happens next time. All I want to say is uh, I decided to do this properly because I hadn't played the first Alan Wake since it came out in 2010. And since then, they made a game called Remedy. The company who makes it made a game called control which is in the same universe so i'm doing the remedy verse at the moment kev that's what i'm doing and i'm now on alan wake 2 i've played those other two games so i believe if everything goes to plan alan wake 2 is possibly going to be a game we're going to be talking about in our next episode so i'm going to save it for for that for then but what i will say is i'm really enjoying getting caught up in this remedy world but um i ain't the guy I ain't the remedy guy. I have about a million problems with each of the three games I've played. To be honest, I'm just not the guy. Um, I've, I respect them more than I like them, and I don't know okay. why. I don't know why that was necessary to bring up in this episode. But I don't know. Your breadcrumbs leading into our next episode. Um, yeah. Hopefully, someone more passionate can talk about remedy <laughs> than me. I think. I think they're endlessly fascinating. But God, God, do they annoy me as video game designers? Speaking of um, annoying, everyone loves superheroes these days, right? We We have decided to do an episode about superheroes, just as I feel like, you know, they're curdling within the zeitgeist. Yeah, we were recording this (laughs) immediately after the opening weekend of the Marvels, where I think it's the the lowest opening weekend in the MCU's, or in the last couple of years for the MCU anyway. Uh, look, I'll throw the MCU a bone where, you know, yeah, they need to do better. But um, I don't know, man. I really loved Loki. I thought it was Loki season two. I thought it was really good. So there's there's some good and bad things happening. Yeah, I still but, haven't watched any Loki. Um, yeah. I'll get around to it, probably. But luckily, this is only on the film side of things. And I do think people are still really enjoying um, 
video game superheroes. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if a new really a new recent enough release is anything to go by. So I think um just kind of broad strokes. You and I are just gonna talk about some um some games that star some superheroes. No really guidelines beyond that. And uh, you know, the different versions of um how these um famous comic book characters, I think a lot of people love to wax their little they're modern day myths. That's what people like to say, isn't it? Comic books mm, are modern yeah. day myths. I'm not saying that in a, I mean, I do this podcast. I, I, I talk about like Banjo-Kazooie and stuff like that in the most kind of revenant way possible, you know? Uh, so um, I shouldn't make fun of people who talk about comic books in a way, in a way that, you know, is respectful. And, um, yeah, except for the people who will stop and correct you and say they're graphic novels. Like those guys are the fuck. But uh, there's been, um, like, I don't know, as long as this medium has been around, the medium of video games has kind of gone hand in hand with um, comic books, doesn't it? There's been comic book characters uh, slinking into it. But I would like to start in a specific point, if you don't mind. I'm not going back Ooh. to, like, arcades or anything like that, which is definitely yeah. somewhere I want to jump in this conversation. I'd like to almost hand you the baton okay. immediately. And I want to talk about the first superhero game that I ever played, where I remember thinking, right... I feel like I'm the superhero. This is not okay. just iconography. This is not just iconography being put into, you know, the washing machine and turned into a video game. This is not just the feeling of, oh, it's cool to be this. It's cool to be this character. I feel like they put so much thought and so much effort into all the different avenues of what it's like to be the superhero. So I'm going to talk about Batman Arkham Asylum. Yes, please. Which is a game I played and I remember loving it. And I believe when I came up with this uh, topic, I was like, do you have things to talk about? And you're like, oh, I'm going to talk about the Arkham games. So would you do that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's it's an interesting place to start a discussion about superhero games because I'm going to like put my flag on the mountain early and say that I don't think there has been a better superhero game than Arkham Asylum. As in the first one, as in Batman Ahane. As in Batman, Batman one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think there are like, there are great things done within the Arkham franchise. I think the, the more recent Marvel Spider-Man games are great. I'm sure we'll get to those. There's loads of other ones that I've, I've really enjoyed in recent years. I just think there's something very special about Arkham Asylum. Um, and I think it's probably the fact that it's a Batman Metroidvania. Well, I remember playing it and like, you know, really looking forward to it because it, it was reviewing really well and it looked like a cool Batman game and they got Mark Hamill back to do the Joker, you know, all those yes. reasons. And I remember being a couple hours into it and I, I don't think I'd read up much about it. I don't think I'd like been following it along or anything like that. Being a couple of hours into it, I was like, God, these Rocksteady guys really like Metroid. <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah, this is a Metroid, this is a Metroidvania. And then I just suddenly realized, oh God, is this the best thing ever? I love this. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Um it's like, and it's, you know, something you mentioned already, and it's something that gets trotted out whenever video games are spoken about. It's that sort of that the the IGN video review tagline of really makes you feel like X. But like, Arkham Asylum does make you feel like Batman. Like, I, yeah. It just, it nails the character in a way that I don't think even the sequels really did. Um, really, 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 yeah, yeah. Because have you have you played two and three? I've played two. So last thing, I'm we- I'm weirdly like unsuited to talk about the Arkham games as a series because I've only played 
the first two. And I really like the first two, but I'm actually the same as you. I don't know if we're in the minority. Is there dozens of us? Is this a popular opinion? But I also, not that I, I quite like City, but I prefer yeah. Asylum. I yeah. think Asylum is a tighter game. Um, and when push comes to shove, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think it is. Um, I think the, the things that are good in Asylum are still good when City does them. It's just that City shrouds it all in this sort of a little bit bloaty open world stuff that then you get to night and a lot of that stuff gets gets drawn out to its its nth degree as well. Um, I remember even at the time, right? Even at the time when there was all the things that Arkham Asylum did right in terms of making us feel like Batman, you know, the very simplistic combat in it, you know. Simplistic, like brutal, like proper Batman violence. Exactly, dude. Yeah, and it made you feel like you were beating the crap out of a room full of people like Batman often does. You know, it got the detective stuff. It got the skulking in the dark stuff. It was just like really good. But I remember at the time people going, oh, but you know, oh, imagine this if it was like Grand Theft Auto. Imagine if you could drive the Batmobile around Gotham City. And I'm kind of like, in theory, yes. But then I know what game it becomes when that yeah. happens. There was something about the tighter single location mm-hmm. of Arkham Asylum that allowed it to be more kind of, you know, designed and authored and you know not open world that i really enjoyed at the time and i was really like I, the bigger I, I had a feeling the bigger this gets i think the less special it'll become and I, to reiterate i love i loved arkham city but i didn't engage with a lot of that because i found its open world just a little bit too much maybe yeah i think arkham city's best bits really are when the scope narrows when you get into like the the different villains have their little dungeons where it becomes for a brief period, like Arkham Asylum again, where you're, you're in a sort of a more confined space, you're taken out of the open world, you're in a more sort of authored level with a path through it and maybe places to backtrack or use gadgets to get to new areas and stuff. What do you think of this little soundbite, Kev, that um, Arkham Asylum is Metroid and Arkham City is Zelda? An open, a kind of more larger world with little quote-unquote dungeons in the middle of it. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. And you know how reluctant I am to ever compliment you. That's That's honestly good. <laughs> Um, yet you do yeah, it all the yeah. time I know but mostly it's ironic the people at home can't see the eye rolls I do um, yeah I think that's a really good point though I think the, the it is kind of a Zelda like design in City um, but for some reason it doesn't work for me and I think it, it is the it is the, the open world just isn't like I've, I've gone on the record in this podcast many times of just not being that into open world games in general across the board on kind of done with that shit and have been for a while um and i don't think i don't think arkham city is a particularly egregious example of it but i just don't think it does anything hugely interesting to justify its existence either you know and how does it evolve in night the third one uh the things that are bad get worse Mm. it's a it's a much bigger open world and that just means the problems feel bigger and to counteract the size of the open world obviously you have the batmobile in arkham night um and it's clearly a part of the design that they really wanted to hang their hat on. It's something they were very proud of, I think. It's something they really wanted to sort of keep front and center. So there's a lot of, like the Riddler storyline in Arkham Knight. You're not solving puzzles. You're doing like races in the sewers. Oh, um, Jack too. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of like main quests and side quests that are effectively like drive around Gotham, but fast or 
mm-hmm. drive around Gotham and, and shoot the cars. And that's all well and good, except the actual Batmobile handles like dog shit. Like they really <laughs> they really got it wrong. It's somehow it's somehow like floaty and heavy at the same time. It it never turns predictably. It's like it's really slow to to get into reverse. So whenever you crash and you will crash, it then takes ages for you kind of to get out of that situation again. Um, and it, re- it requires you to kind of change like modes on the Batmobile for different things for like combat and stuff. And it always just feels bad to use. Um, outside of that, Arkham Knight is a decent game. Like I'm, I'm not shitting on it. I think it's the weakest of the three. Um, but I think the, I really like the the main quest of it, the sort of the the storyline through it, um, but like the that Batmobile stuff is it's unforgivably bad. It sounds kind of almost exactly like I, what I was worried back in two thousand and nine or whenever the hell Arkham Asylum came out. Uh, it sounds like you know, yeah, it would be cool to get the the driving around Gotham City aspects in this game, but. Yeah, what do you do gameplay wise once you have that? And they'll yeah, drive through targets really quickly. To me, that's yeah. not as interesting as sussing out the design of Arkham Asylum and, you know, skulking in up in gargoyles and knocking out inmates and stuff like that. You know, it just doesn't sound as interesting to me. I kind of, City, uh, for as much as I liked it, and this might be sacrilegious to some people, kills my interest in that franchise, which is why I didn't play Origins or um, Night afterwards. I was just like, yeah, that's enough, I think. I don't want to see this kind of grow larger in, from what it is here. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a real example of, of scope creep where they they had something good, and they just I don't know felt the need to to iterate and expand in a way that kind of left you with the same amount of good stuff, but just kept shoveling extra shit on top. Um, it's worth pointing out actually because I complained about stealth games or games having stealth aspect in them at the top of this episode. Mm-hmm. Like that. the stealth in Arkham Asylum is excellent. Yeah, it's so good. It's 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 a high water mark that other stealth games need to hold themselves against, even all this time later. Because, like, you're Batman. You're playing as Batman. If you're one on one against any of these enemies, like it's not a contest. They're just goons, hired goons, and you're going to smash their skull or zip tie them up or whatever. So in the stealth sections where you're like flying, you're zipping around between gargoyles, you're kind of isolating the enemies. It like it isn't a challenge if the game is just wait for their pattern, pick them off one by one, move on to the next room. So what the game does is the enemies react to your use of cover or gargoyles or whatever. They learn, they'll start like shooting away the turrets and gargoyles that you're standing on to limit your options. There'll be different enemies that, you know, behave in different ways. There'll be guys with like infrared that can kind of see you in the corners. And like, you have to constantly adapt your play style. Um, And it's not a case that like you get spotted and you break stealth and it's a game over. You can kind of, you can take out the guy you saw. You can try to sort of re-engage stealth. You can kind of try to maneuver around. It just, it's, because I think the other systems of the game work really well, the stealth doesn't feel tacked on the way it does in other games. It was the beginning of, you know, do you remember the, the detective mode in that game? Where, yeah. You know, you, Batman can kind of see infrared through two walls to see where enemies are and stuff like that. I feel like that just became a thing in every third-person third, third action game for years after that. 
and it was the kind of problem where that at the time that was like a really beautiful um atmospheric game that you kind of what like played through an orange filter because it was better to have detective mode on all the time almost you definitely had it on more than you didn't and it kind of it was a weird kind of design choice that you know they had to kind of work around in future ones uh but um i agree with you it was like just being able to kind of yeah just skulking about as batman but what what you get what's really what's really great if you're lucky if you're if you're a video game company lucky enough to get an ip so beloved it's like you know not only do you get batman not only do you get to like okay okay and like I said, it's up top. This is this is the first game where I, I felt like there were designers really going like, what's the essence of this character? You know, from multiple angles. So they're clearly really enjoying designing Batman. But you, the lucky thing is, you get a slew of beloved characters and villains. So Arkham Asylum was able to just you know cherry pick iconic 50, 60, 70 year old villains and, and, and populate the game with them. Unfortunately, they dropped the ball with the actual boss fights in that game. From what I remember, they were not, not yeah. very good mechanically, but it's still such a treasure trove. If you get an IP, like a superhero IP, the, the characters you get, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think like Batman arguably has like the the best rogues gallery in the comic book world, I think. I would agree and with I you. Thought, I think it's, it's, it's not an unpopular opinion, but I think I would yeah. agree with you, yeah. I, I think there's, there's probably a strong case to be made for Spider-Man as well. Spider-Man, yeah. It's between the two, and I'd probably say Batman. Um, Batman wins it, um, and I suppose like by virtue of the setting, by choosing to set it in Arkham Asylum, sort of the the iconic insane asylum slash prison where all these baddies are held in the canon in the universe of of the story, it just meant that like they could use whoever the fuck they had the rights to in whatever way they wanted. Like every corner you turn in that game, it feels like. Even if the enemy, even if if the 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 bad guy isn't there as an enemy or an antagonist, like you'll find, I don't know, Calendar Man's cell or something. That's right. He's got, yeah. he's got yeah. like the loads of day of the week like calendar things stuck on the wall, and, and you find like references to the Mad Hatter or, or or whatever. There's like it just adds a layer of atmosphere to it, where like every. 30 minutes or so you're doing that full Leo pointing at the screen meme where you're like ah oh, I know this guy I know what this that's is it. that's why it's such a worthy thing to adapt um, superhero comics and movies and shows and whatever into games because I do feel like it makes side content effortlessly so, effortlessly so meaningful to the player you do like oh you've come across a, a reference to Catwoman you're like this is the best thing ever this is so this is, this is so <laughs> cool you know what a cool little thing to hide in the game it just I think it's a it must it must be so wonderful to have an opportunity to take such a beloved character and make a game out of them, you know? Yeah, I mean, I imagine it, it's it's very high pressure. Oh uh, yeah, hundred percent. And Rocksteady were unproven at the time. Do you remember that they were like new kids on the block, new kids on the rock, steady. Yeah, um, mm. yeah, and I think that it's clear like they they absolutely nailed it with Asylum. They've done good work on the game since. How do we feel about Suicide Squad? For what we've seen of it. Like, I feel like I'm not going to play it. Yeah. I yeah. I feel like a lot of people are not going to play it from the look of it. <laughs> In the same way that I didn't play the new Avengers game and stuff like that, I'm just kind of like, you know, I can love these characters as much, but I don't want to play these type of games, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, it, it's like we said, you know, when, when these developers get handed the keys to these IPs, there is, uh, you know, 
a big weight put on their shoulders that they have to deliver but the other weight that's on the developers shoulders is coming from like the publishers and the money men mm-hmm. and they're saying you gotta make a live service i don't know why i did that voice it's kind of because it's, <laughs> it's little, apt it's so very yeah, apt that's yeah, it's why my, it's my little money man goblin voice mm. yeah um so that like the, the the trend which hopefully seems to be dying off a little bit now of just live service games mill money out of people use the ip to get them in it doesn't matter if the game is any good at all because you'll sell copies you'll get people in the door and once they're in the door they want to want their i don't know their premium skin for miss marvel or whatever and <laughs> they're going to spend you money on make, it and, i haven't played it but i think you can you can make hulk's cock bigger can't you I think so, yeah, yeah, but at the cost that it, it, at the cost that it actually relocates on his body every time you load in. <laughs> Gross. Yeah. As you said that, a car drove past your apartment as well, almost as if it was trying to censor you. No, that was Sarah leaving. <laughs> but um, look, in a more positive light, in a more positive light of modern games, you know, I've, I've yeah. feel like I've garnered a reputation on. Um, at least with the people I do this podcast with, you know, it's not a wide. You hate Spider Man, but I'm some kind of negative Spider Man Nancy, which is not true. In fact, if there's anyone on this podcast, it, it should have the reputation as Morrissey, who badmouths no. that game. As I don't know what why. That I don't is. think that's fair. <laughs> I think I don't, I don't see why you're dragging Morrissey's name into the mud along with Spider Man's. <laughs> I think it's comparable to the Arkham games. Insomniac's Spider-Man game, which now is a, is a trilogy of games now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're comparable to Batman Arkham Asylum and its ilk in the way that they just had an opportunity to take a crack at this IP and just began with getting to the essence of the character, making, you know, putting him, in, putting you in his suit and having you zip around New York. We've talked about this game a few times, yeah, but like, I do have problems with it. And they're not really the game's problems. They're more my problems. But it's worth saying again, in the same way how cool it is to be Batman in Arkham Asylum and skulking around in the shadows and up on gargoyles and taking out a a bunch of goons, it is the best feeling to just be Spider-Man in those games. Yeah. To just like zip around New York, the the sense of movement that they did with it. So you haven't played the new one, no? No, I haven't. I've played the original. I've played Miles Morales. I have played not a second of the new one. I think it, it came out um, AF after the flood, or oh, around the flood think? at least. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm redefining my life into pre and post flood. I think that's really good for you. I think that's really healthy, man. No, no, I'm super fixated on it. Every time I close my eyes, I'm back there. <laughs> but sorry, you were saying something. I had a really good time with Spider Man too. I, I'm not going to go into any details that, that could be spoilery because it's a, it's a newish game. What I'll say about it is I can absolutely see someone playing Spider-Man 2 and going, this is, you know, my favorite game ever. Yeah. I can see how easily it could burrow its way into someone's heart because it gets Spider-Man so right in mm-hmm. so many ways. It's 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 the basics that were that were present in the in the other games as well. It's the like I said, the zipping around the city, the movement, the traversal, the traversal. It's the combat, which even more so than um, Batman, I'd say, just makes you kind of feel like, you know, agile, quipping Spider-Man. Yeah. But I think I think it's such a thoughtful take on the character in terms of, in terms of like, okay, what does Spider, what do people, what does Spider-Man do? You know, what do people like about Spider-Man? And it isn't just him punching his rogues gallery. It's a lot of that. Yeah. It's the friendly neighborhood stuff as well. Yeah. You know? 
and obviously this is not just uh, Peter Parker anymore. This is Peter Parker and Miles Morales. And there's a lot of really kind of small, small scale side questy stories in Spider-Man 2 that are just focused on the friendly neighborhood side of things. Chatting to someone on a park bench, helping out uh, someone in college who's trying to um, ask their boyfriend out um, for prom and stuff like that. Just very kind of goofy asides, but you get the feeling, yeah, this, this is something a Spider-Man would and should be doing, you know? Yeah. It's gameplay wise, these things aren't riveting, but I'll give it a pass because if I was making a Spider Man game, I would focus on this aspect of the character as well, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And like, I am, you know, as already mentioned, I'm not an open world guy, but the Spider Man mm. games get a pass from me. And I think barely. it's because, <laughs> barely, but they do. And I think it's because I don't care that a lot of the like clearing out bases or finding 700 backpacks gameplay stuff is kind of repetitive if i just like being in the world mm-hmm. i like i yeah. like it sort of tonally i like it sort of almost as like a mood piece i like just like when that first spider-man game came out when i i like i played it obsessively i beat it and then i would boot it back up not to do open world content or hunt for like trophies and stuff just to swing around and like climb a tall building and have a look around and just chill out i just like being in those games and a lot of that is like the it's the tone it's the mood it's the the friendly neighborhood stuff particularly in miles i think it's some it's a place where they they improved on the original game is having miles being so integrated into his community um and it, it looks from the outside as, as if that's something that they've they've taken another step forward with the new game. Yeah, absolutely. You get a lot of the best, like to use the term again, friendly neighbors, Spider-Man stuff through Miles' side quests. But honestly, yeah. Kev, in terms of the open world side questy stuff, this one does it better. I'm not okay. giving it a free pass. I'm not giving it a free pass, but I did almost all the side quests in this one and I got almost every collectible in it because they're just not as egregious. And I'll even say maybe... And, you know, it's nothing as bad as, like, collecting those backpacks in the first game, but maybe maybe the most kind of just go here, search for an item, kind of just itemy collecting thing in, in yeah. Spider-Man 2, or you're collecting these things called Spider-Bots that are littered around the city. And it was the only time where I kind of felt like, oh, will I do this, you know? Yeah. I was like, you know, because it, it actually tells you in each chunk of the map how, how much you have left, and I was like, I'll do it, I'll do it. It's not that hard. They They let out a visual kind of pulse as well so you can actually see them okay. from far away so it's not it's not kind of just you know searching around but what i'm getting to is i was like every time you collect one or every time you collect a few just you know dialogue with a ganky you know Maz's friend ganky and he's kind yeah. of like hey i'm triangulating where these spider bots came from and it's this big mystery and i'm not going to spoil the mystery kev but what i will say i was like as i was doing it i was as i was trying to justify myself doing it i was like is there any revelation here of where they're coming from that would make me go cool glad i did this <laughs> you know <laughs> probably not you know i was like probably not i'm probably just gonna go all right i did this side quest and you know fuck my ass i got to the end of it and the revelation was class okay. it was it was brilliant and i'm really glad i completed that side quest so if you're going to put a semi-tedious side quest into a game you better have the reward be pretty cool and it was pretty cool it was pretty okay cool. Yeah, yeah, if 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 the game has you putting up with its sort of open worldy fetch questy bullshit, then it's clearly doing <laughs> something right because you have yeah. a fairly low tolerance for that. I do, and I found myself kind of vibing with Spider Man Two more so than the other two, and I don't think it's it's close to perfect. Like I said, like I like I kind of flirted around there talking about the Remedy games. 
um, Alan Wake and Control. Just with these Spider-Man games, I'm just not the guy. Yeah. I can see it. I can like this is someone's perfect game, and I love that they're they're getting this perfect game. There's something about it. All the characters are done correct. You know, everyone is. You know, they got Spider-Man right. They got his friendly neighborhood side. They got he's a he's a genuinely good guy. They got the, the one. The best thing narratively about this game is the dynamic between Peter and Miles. It's very simple stuff. It's Peter struggling to be Spider-Man, Miles being new Spider-Man. Their roles reversal. Maybe Miles can teach Sp- Peter a thing or two. It's 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 simple stuff, Kev. It's yeah. really it's really simple stuff, but. You know, you do you do some of the quest lines in it, and they're usually in this one. They're all kind of most of them are based around a Spider-Man villain. So if you want to kind of get the plot line of this, you know, iconic Spider-Man villain, it, 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 it's attached to a quest line, a side quest yeah. line. That's the right. That's the right way to do it. I had like I had a ton of fun just like being in the game, like you said, and I had a ton of fun completing all the quests and getting these. Oh, this like I'm not going to spoil anything, but like one quest plays a very kind of subtle. And doesn't kind of reveal which major Spider-Man villain it's all about until the end of it. And again, I was like, cool. So I was getting a lot of moments like that out of me. I was going, this is cool. Now that I've finished the game, I don't think I've thought about it since recording this episode. <laughs> since we started recording this episode. <laughs> it doesn't stay with me. Like, it's a, if, if you love Venom, you're going to get a great Venom story. If you love yeah. the symbiote plotline from the comics and the cartoons, you're going to get a great version of that. So I don't have anything bad about to, say, to say about it, except that all the characters have weirdly punchable faces <laughs> <laughs> and they sort of annoy me as much as this is like one of the best versions of Peter Parker I've ever seen. I don't know. I don't know if it's a script. I don't know what it is. I can't even analyze it within myself. I think only a therapist can get it out of exactly what my problem is, but there's a do you bit. Think, do you think his original face was less punchable or is it since they made him I, look more Tom Holland and le- less Yuri Lowenthal? I do prefer his original face. I do. And that's, that's interesting to say, but there's a bit where, uh, um, P- Peter, Harry and MJ go to, uh, hang out in Coney Island. And I was playing it. And again, I respect the game that allows us to slow down and not be an action game for a while and just build, do something with characters. Yeah. But I was actually just playing it and in my head. I was going, what a trio of assholes. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this. I hate them. I hate them. <laughs> I really did. There's something like it's so it's so correct. Peter is like the game is so um, inclusive with its representation. It's so kind of pro science. Like a lot of the the, yeah. the side quests and a lot of the things like Peter and and Co and Miles and everyone there. Like everything they're doing is like very kind of pro science. Let's let's Spider Man do like some environmental shit. Yeah, everything is so correct. Yet everyone just kind of annoys me in that game. I don't know, I don't know why, and I can't figure it out. But yeah, and it's my favorite of the three. I think. And I think one of the problems people had about it is that it's um, it's not that much of an evolution of the other two, which is fair, which is absolutely fair. But yeah, to tie into to, to tie into what this topic is about and just the way we talked about the asylum games, I think the kind of mandate of just making a very safe yet very kind of pure experience of inhabiting Spider Man is just still a worthy thing to make a game about. And I think they've kind of pretty much got that down pat three times now. You know. Yeah, it kind of um, it inspires confidence going forward. Have you seen uh, a little bit of what the the lead dev has spoken about of what where they're they're looking at going next? No, I haven't actually. So they haven't like a, a, a third game or a fourth game, but a, a Spider Man three hasn't been mm-hmm. confirmed yet. But he was asked about it on a podcast, and the way he put it was like, if if Spider-Man and Miles was kind of the origin story or the start, 
and then Spider-Man 2 is kind of the Civil War. Where do you go mm. next? I think the, the implication I being bigger. Mm. How do you it's feel about Spider-Man that? Spider-Man and Spider-Man in space. Spider-Man in space, yeah, or uh, maybe some um, kind of multiverse stuff, or maybe some kind of like going to like an Infinity War kind of scale thing. It's, it seems to be the implication is that they're going big. Other non Spider-Man characters are absolutely referenced and, and hinted at in that world. Like you know, yeah. get to see um, Daredevil's law firm. You can see the mm-hmm. the Avengers Tower. The Avengers so Tower. Yeah. Look, there is. I'm not going to spoil anything, Kev. You haven't played the game, and yeah. the game is too new to spoil anyway. I wouldn't do it anyway. But there are a couple of very unsubtle hints at the end of like at least some things they might be going for next. Okay. But if let's just, let's just say hypothetically they're going to let's just say Insomniac, like let's do three main games and leave it there. You know. Yeah. That's uh. If you want to cover all your Spider-Man bases, mm-hmm. all the iconic things Spider-Man has done in the comics through the years, I think, yeah, it's going to it would be a Spider-Verse or Clone Saga type thing. I would think you do next. Yeah, you get yeah. more Spider-Man, just a lot of Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what are they called? The Spider Totems. Right. Yeah. Is this, get, is this getting little... is this getting too comic booky? Yeah. Yeah. Because because this thing to kind of a good segue, if you don't mind, I'm. I don't know about you, but I didn't actually grow up reading comic books. I didn't. Uh, I was a gamer. I was a movie kid. You know, you know, I was a dreamer. <laughs> yeah. I was a lover, but not a fighter. You know, all those things, Kev, you know, that I could attribute to my character, but I wasn't. I was like 18 or so when I actually started earnestly like getting into comic books. And I'm going to sound like a bit of a wanker. They weren't superhero comics like. Unless there were Watchmen, you know, I wasn't reading. Uh, mm. I wasn't going like, let's read Spider-Man number 59. I was going like what's like you know let's read mouse let's read persepolis that's that's where i'm just name dropping cool things i've read now yeah. why the last man 100 bullets you know stuff like that i've i've read very precious little um superhero comic books in my life i've read a couple of uh, famous batmans i've read actually civil war you mentioned it there a second ago i read mm-hmm. that back in the day but in terms of where you know these characters are so ingrained in pop culture in many different avenues it wasn't comic books themselves where you know i fell in love with these characters it was other media mediums it was cartoons, cartoons that were playing yeah it was the cartoons yeah. that were playing when i was a kid but it was also video games yeah and in direct contrast to the kind of modern way a developer might tackle um like getting their hands on batman or getting their hands on spider-man and just like let's let's um let's put tender love and care into like conveying all the different aspects of this character you know back in like the 90s it was just wouldn't it be cool if these characters beat each other up in a fighting game? Yeah. yeah. And the and the answer was, yeah. Yeah, it's very cool, actually. <laughs> like, almost unanimously, yeah. Marvel vs. Capcom. That's good shit. And that's kind of, you know, before, like, we, we're kind of in between two eras now. Like, I'm kind of... There was a lot of very, like, popular Spider-Man games in the 2000s and maybe 2010s. And when EA were yeah. publishing, I kind of missed. Yeah, I didn't play but, those either. I've heard... They're good-ish. Spider-Man Two is very beloved. I actually think I yeah. did play that one, but I didn't play it much. It's a very. It's actually based off the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Mm. But when I look back in the past, and I'm like, what were what were what was happening with superheroes? It man, I immediately think it's when Capcom had the Marvel IP. Mm. And I don't know how people feel about that these days, but I thought it was the coolest thing ever when Capcom had the Marvel IP. And no, you weren't getting games that let you inhabit Spider-Man. <laughs> Or whatever, and you know, you just really feel like you're playing that character. But you got really cool 
uh, stylish, beautifully animated, mostly fighting games. Yeah, uh, I'm a huge fan of the early Marvel vs. Capcom games and Marvel superheroes and stuff like that. They were kind of a part of my childhood. And I even remember when Avengers 1 came out way back. Yeah. Remember there's an after credit scene where I saw like, oh, it's Thanos and Thanos turns around. Yeah. I had like no idea who he was, but I was like, that's the guy from Marvel vs. Capcom 2. He's one of like <laughs> the unlockable characters. <laughs> that was kind of, you know, the things I knew about comic book characters back then. And um, I have just a huge affection for Capcom turning their, like turning these um, iconic comic book characters and just distilling them down into the rule of cool you know mm, that's all yeah. you need is it, it, it to boil gaming down to its simplest thing sometimes is it you know does it feel good mechanically does it feel cool to press buttons and make characters on screens do things you marry that to like beating up you know spider-man as wolverine in marvel superheroes and it just it remains like the coolest thing ever i think yeah absolutely did you ever play any of the um the the netherrealm stuff the what are they called drawing a blank here the mortal Kombat guys did the dc yeah 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 the, injustice um, in, injustice yeah yeah do you ever play yeah, those guys? I, I remember playing it in a friend's house yeah and i remember going um this is really good but i was the guy who was like god remember those marvel versus capcom games <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think would you historically you'd fall on the capcom divide there you'd, you'd be street fighter before mortal Kombat a lot of the time yeah, I grew up with both of them. Um, obviously, yeah. they're like, um, I have love in my heart for both of them. Uh, but 100%, if you have to choose, it's um, it's Street Fighter. Uh, I prefer Street Fighter's weird candy-colored world <laughs> world fighters beating, it, beating each other up aesthetic to the kind of grim, dark, and more combat, personally. Yeah. And that kind of rolls right into like what Capcom did with the Marvel IP for years and years as well, just kind of transpose those characters into... Um, into their style but um you know they're both cool kev they're both cool i I remember i remember playing as joker in injustice and thinking that was the coolest thing ever (laughs) yeah um yeah i suppose on the the moral combat side of things have you seen i suppose keep making it topical for a moment the 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 issue around the omni man thing there's an issue yeah the issue being that they're absolute money-grubbing bastards which shouldn't be a surprise to anyone but Mm. they're charging like eight bucks for the character it's another 10 bucks for jk simmons's voice on top what? of the on top of the 80 bucks you paid for the game you gotta pay a tenner for a voice yeah i've never heard of that before yeah and that's like even people who bought like the the fighter pass or season pass or whatever get the character and don't get the voice lines that sucks i hate that yeah, that makes me that makes me want to wax lyrical more. God, I remember Marvel vs. Capcom too. the The soundtrack was jazz for no reason, and it yeah, wasn't it was just really like good, Spider. <laughs> and it wasn't just Spider Man and Captain America and like really obvious characters. You had weird ones in it like Silver Samurai, and uh, yep, Spiral. I think she was called. She shot bones out. <laughs> I don't know why I went for one whose name I wasn't one hundred percent sure of. Yeah, you had you had a lot to pull from there, and you you went weird. <laughs> Well, half of them are Capcom characters, so I almost confused myself, you know? But I just, uh, I've never heard anything like that. I was just uh, trying to use nostalgia there to um, take the brunt of that awful money-grubbing bullshit you just told yeah. me about. I suppose we've, we, we've spoken a lot about games that we love or games that we like or recent games, but have you played any of the older video game superhero adaptations, like going back to the 90s or even before? 
any of like the, the arcade ones or any of the NES or SNES titles? Yeah, yeah, just like start with the arcade. I remember there was nothing cooler as a kid. Height of the X Men animated show. Uh, you know, X Men were very much in the zeitgeist. You'd walk into an arcade, and X Men Children of the Atom was there. Yep, it was always this huge cabinet, a four player thing. Uh, I believe this wasn't Capcom. I think it was Konami, right? I think so. I'm not 100 percent on that, but I think so. Mm, I'm actually gonna. I know. I never do this while we're doing a podcast, but uh, I'm going to fact check myself on that one. This is me clicking, clacking, clicking. Yeah. Clacking, are you going to edit clacking. out the fact checking, or is this staying in? No, I don't. I don't see why. No, it's Capcom. Of course, it's Capcom. They own the IP fridge. Why did I say that? That's all staying in. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so yeah, and that was um. That was actually weird, Kev, because, you know, that wasn't based on the cartoon. It was based on the comics. So, like, Wolverine mm-hmm. was wearing orange. And uh, at the time, Nightcrawler was in the cartoon. So, I was like, who's this blue dude? Just kind of goes <laughs> back to me discovering characters um, through the games, you know? Like, oh, uh, Thanos, I know him from this game. But uh, to go back even further than that, yeah, I remember used to, um, in a friend's house, I used to play the NES Batman game. Did you ever play that? Mm, yeah. <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> You're a lot more positive on it than I am, I think. <laughs> Well, I haven't played it since I was four, maybe yeah. five. <laughs> yeah, that's the, the best we can say about it. It'll impress a four-year-old. Um, yeah, yeah, what I that... did play is I, I, I used to re- I used to rent semi-frequently the X-Men game for the Sega Mega Drive, yes. which is the one where all the X-Men are trapped inside um, uh, the danger room, and it's like making different holograms and stuff like that, and you could pick a character, and when that character dies, you move on to the next one. And uh, I had a really cool memories of that, and I played that a few years ago, and I was like, wow. This isn't good. Oh, no. I was, was going to say that's no. one I assume held up. No, not really. It's a bit jank. It's a bit jank now, and I, I'd love to I'd love to wax more lyrical about that. But other than that, Kev, no, it, it's really weird. My brother and I were kind of, you know, weirdly fucking discerning in, in terms of we didn't get many kind of IP games, yeah. except for, like, the Capcom fighting games. We would, we would kind of avoid kind of, oh, they're making a game about this character. You know, that's classically, that's not a very good idea, you know. So I've missed a lot of the kind of 2000s ones, but like I remember a Hulk game coming out called like Hulk Total Destruction or something like that. That's actually supposed to be like really good as well, but you know, I wouldn't have touched it, you know, at the time. Yeah. And you you never um, got stung by Superman 64? No, but that had become such a legend. Yeah. I remember reading magazines when I was a kid, Nintendo magazines. And they always used to cite it as, you know, the worst game on N64. And then it kind of, it became like the, classically kind of the classically cited worst game ever made so i have played it on an emulator years ago and it is just like it's more fun to talk about and kind of read about and watch videos of than actually play it because you know when you play it it's actually just that this controls like ass it's not fun yeah my my favorite little tidbit about that game is it was delayed by like a year because they showed it at e3 97 98 i think it came out in 99 so it'd be 98 <laughs> they showed it at e3 and like everyone hated it and like the the as you said the controls are awful the game looks awful the technical performance was absolutely dog shit on it so they went away they worked on it for another year they couldn't get it to improve at all so all they did was they changed the in-game lore so instead of it being a low draw distance it's lex luther had released a kryptonite fog it was obscure in oh, the city. Love it. And when like they couldn't get the frame <laughs> rate up above like a fucking slideshow, so they had the entire game be the characters are like drawn into a virtual reality setting. So that's why it's it's stuttering. Is it's not that the game can't perform; it's that it's being it's, it's happening inside a hologram. I respect that yeah. in a way. You know, I that's, don't that's, condone that's it, but I respect it. 
isn't it very comparable to like in this year of amazing games that we've had isn't it superman 64 has its modern equivalents doesn't it like the the uh, the Gollum game that came out this year the king kong game that came out this year you know yeah um, absolute shite that have been put onto stores and like charge money for it. kind of superman was one of the proto games of that yeah go back even it, further it, than that it was it was stuff like pac-man uh, atari and uh et et and stuff like that yeah yeah there's always like the, the famously shite games of the generation and it's always tied to an ip isn't it because they it know always is they know yeah. they can, they know they'll sell copies and they know that they probably won't have to face any any consequences. I suppose ET would be the exception there, where there absolutely were consequences. It nearly destroyed the industry. There was, <laughs> if, th- if things had gone differently, we would have been doing this podcast about fucking tennis or something because video games wouldn't exist as a hobby. <laughs> Speaking of modern takes on the characters, Kev, um, yeah. didn't you allude to earlier on that you were playing um, that Marvel thing, Marvel Snap? Marvel Snap, yeah. Thanks for bringing me back around to that. Um, very, wanna, very popular. Yeah, I want to preface this by saying that Marvel Snap is a microtransaction-laden hellhole that is designed <laughs> to suck money out of people who don't know any better. It's like it's brightly colored. It's presumably trying to trick children into pressing the button, not realizing that they're spending real money. It's got loads of like meta currencies that trying to obfuscate how much actual money you're spending when you get into stuff. All of this stuff is reprehensible. All this stuff is are things that I truly hate in video gaming as, as, as a business and in specific video games when I see them. All that out of the way, it's a cracking game. It's just, it's just yeah. a really, really well-designed card game. It's really simple. Mm-hmm. You basically, you have a deck of uh, 12 cards. You draw a couple of them to start. The, the game is there are three locations between you and your opponent. On turn one, the, the left location is revealed. On turn two, the middle. And on turn three, the right one is. Each location has uh, an ability tied to it that changes one rule on the game. Each turn, you spend energy to play these Marvel superheroes from your hand. You start with one energy, it increases by one each turn, up to six on the sixth turn. Um, the cards all have abilities that interact with each other, that synergize in ways. And the objective is to have the most power or, or strength or whatever in two out of the three locations. If you win two locations out of the three, you win the game. The games take two and a half, three minutes to play. They're just really fast, really quick. Um, there's... It's, it's a surprisingly well-balanced game. All the cards have abilities. Some of them are bonkers, but everything everything that someone plays, there is a counterplay for if you've thought of it, if you've built your deck, if you draw the right card at the right time. And it's just... It's like it's it's kind of Vampire Survivor's level of, I suppose I'll just play one more game. But the difference is yeah. that like a, a successful run in Vampire Survivors is, is 30 minutes. A successful game of Marvel Snap is, like I said two and a half minutes, three minutes max. So your one more game turns into, well, I'll just do 10 more games and then I'll get up off the toilet because my legs are going numb. <laughs> it's, and I, are you okay I, I do, being addicted to it? Uh, yeah, because I, I, as it stands, I'm okay with not spending money on it. The game mm. really drip feeds content without you paying for stuff. You do still unlock stuff. It's just at a really slow pace. They've intentionally made a grindy so to increase the likelihood of people spending money to speed up the unlocks. 
and I'm okay with not doing that for now and just playing with the stuff that I unlock as as I naturally unlock it. I think it, the day I get tempted to spend real money on it is the day that I'll need to uninstall it and just let it out of my heart. But for now, I'm just really enjoying playing it. It's just, it's a shame that it's so predatory and so mercenary um, because because the game is genuinely quite good. Mm. In terms of like the Marvel theming in it, it's clearly made by people who at a development level as opposed to at a sort of monetary design level really care about Marvel Comics. Like the the artwork is beautiful. Like the characters, like like all the, the members of the Guardians of the Galaxy all have abilities that key off each other in similar ways or like X-Men, will, members of the X-Men will have abilities that are kind of similar or play off each other. Or um, like Professor X has abilities that'll work better if, if the the X-Men mansion is one of the locations that come up and stuff. So it, there's a lot of interplay between theme and gameplay. Um, I just wish that they hadn't taken so much inspiration from like Magic the Gathering and, you know, people like cards. How can we get money off them? Mm. Uh, That's life, isn't it? It's capitalism, am I right? Hmm. It's just one of my many raw observations about life that I sometimes throw out here on the podcast, you know? Yeah. On our podcast about video gaming culture. Maybe to wrap this episode up, Kev, I have a question for you. Okay. There's um, a lot of games based on superhero IPs that exist. We've talked about a small amount of them only. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We are only two brains, you know? There's only so much we can do. But I want to ask, is there anything that hasn't been adapted like is there a video game that exists in your head based on a superhero character that you would love to play interesting hmm. i think interesting though yeah you gonna answer yeah i think see the the thing that immediately came to mind is a comic but isn't necessarily superhero so i don't know does it fit but i think um i'll allow it I think a sort of uh a mass effect style rpg set in the world of saga could be very fucking saga. cool. Have you not read Saga? I love Saga. Oh, you I've okay. yeah. read, uh, read a lot of Saga, not all of it. Yeah. yeah. Do you know that when that was made, though, um, Brian K. Vaughan, right? Correct, yeah. At the, and Fiona... I want to say Fiona Apple, but no, Fiona Staples, yeah. Fiona Staples, yeah. No, but when that was um, when that was created about 10, 11 years ago, it was specifically made in contract that it could never be anything but a comic book. Yeah. Yeah, he's been very clear and very vocal with that. He doesn't want it adapted, so you might have to keep dreaming on that one. But this is not really my idea. I've seen it floated around. I might have had it independently of where I've seen it floated around. I think it's it's in the collective unconscious because so many people want it. But what about a Mass Effect style X Men game or Persona style X Men game? You're not necessarily playing as any of the classic X Men characters, but you're hanging around with them. You create your own mutant, and you're there in the mansion with them, and you're going on missions with them, and you you're hanging out with them, and you have downtime with them, but you're also fighting alongside them. You know. Yeah, buddy, have you heard of a game called Marvel's Midnight Suns? <laughs> yeah, but no one liked that aspect of it, though. <laughs> I heard, anyway. Yeah, I've um, I've played like a, an hour of it. It was something I had started um, uh, pre-flood. Um, so I'm hoping I'll get back to it if and when I recover my consoles. Um, but yeah, like the... It is that game that you're talking about it is that sort of alternating between you know 
doing superhero shit on missions and then doing social shit back at the base. Is the writing as bad as some people say it is? I don't know. I, I like I was very early in it, so maybe I haven't seen a lot of the egregious shit yet. I didn't hate it. The gameplay is good. The mm. I, I think it, it taps into the same sort of um, the same part of my brain that Marvel Snap does. Any any game that just lets me play with cards, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sold. Um, but it is it's that sort of turn based tactical stuff from like XCOM mixed with like deck building and like constructing a deck and and trying to make the best of each situation where you're kind of like you're, you're strategically having like a, a high level plan of what you want to do from turn to turn but then you have to react tactically based on the cards that you draw on that turn it's a really strong interplay between the two that's just really fucking satisfying could the social stuff be stronger probably um but i mean i don't know maybe they'll get to make a second one maybe that'll be better yeah and we do know that Insomniac are making a Wolverine game. Yes, which I think so, is really interesting because I don't know about you, but I think like one of the, the strongest things in the Spider-Man games is the traversal. Wolverine doesn't really have any kind of traversal powers. He's not like famously associated. I suppose he has a motorbike, but... You know? But what I'm hoping is that, you know, rather than build off of what they've done with Spider-Man and make a, a Wolverine game, they, you know, start from scratch and hone in on what makes this character worthwhile to make a game about and build gameplay around that. I mean, we don't need an open world Wolverine Wolverine game is what I think. Yeah, I think, that, I, I, think, I think you're right. I think I'm probably not, not being fair enough to them. And I think what you described there is likely, you know, how they'll, they'll want to approach this is not make, how do we fit? wolverine into the framework that we have it'll be how do we make a wolverine game but i'm with you i do hope it's not open world yeah i'm gonna keep an eye on that because you know i'm like i said the spider-man the insomniac spider-man games are not my favorite things in the world i don't think they deserve game of the year i don't think they're like i don't i don't think it's going to get game of the year this year yeah i don't think they're 10 out of 10 or even 9 out of 10s but i you know you don't have to adore everything you play and i think they're very well made and i think that's the main thing so i'm very happy that they're given they're, they're being given another go on an iconic character so I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely keeping my eyes on that in terms of other characters who just you know maybe deserve you know a video game how about daredevil daredevil could be cool yeah i think the... you can save money on graphics because <laughs> he's blind do a first person daredevil game is it? <laughs> no you <laughs> i think that's called an audiobook <laughs> brilliant jokes aside i think that would be cool i think there's um I think there's a cool video game you can make on that character, and I think you could have a lot of kind of um, his power set. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how I do it, but I think that could be translated really cool to a video game in terms of turning the, his 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 sonar side and his ability to like kick ass halfway across the room into a, into a, an action game. You know. Okay, while we're spitballing, how about this one? Um, Final Fantasy VII remake blend of action with uh, turn based in a squad, but the squad is the Fantastic Four. That'd be sick, yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant, yeah, that'd be really cool. Yeah, I think you did that. <laughs> Hello, Marvel. Have I got an idea for you? How'd you get that number? I, I, I made it up. I, I made those beep sounds with my mouth. Oh, I can't believe it. See, when Kevin and I do, on, on, when Kevin and I do the podcast with each other, we don't, we can't see each other visually. Like when, when I'm with Marcy and Owen, we all, we're always on camera. So Kevin's able to get away with these hilarious jokes because I can't see what he's doing. Yeah just tricked me it's just 
just in my nature. I guess you could say I'm like Loki. I'm mischievous. Uh, no, I hated that. That's that seems like we've ran out of steam. Yeah, that's so. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, we've had, a, we've had a good run. Um, best of luck with the podcast. No, no I didn't mean entirely. I just, I just meant for maybe this episode. Look, everyone, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Hey, Look, Listen. This was a very broad topic. We kind of knew going in, we were only going to like do little bits and pieces here and there because it's like there's a lot we could talk about. But truth be told, there's a lot of superior games I haven't played, so I'm not really an expert. But listen, little, little hint of what's to come. I don't know if I should do this because what if it doesn't work out, but whatever. The next episode after this might be the grand return of having all four of us in an episode, uh, which hasn't happened in ages. I'm just excited about that. So I just, I want to, I want to um, <laughs> say it here, even if it doesn't work out, but uh, <laughs> it's hard to get four of us. It really is, but we're hoping to get all four of us for the next one. So that'd be cool. It's been ages since own has been on the podcast because um yeah, he's just doing real life stuff, you know, just doing big grown up things, and we're all very proud of him. But we wish he'd just stop doing the grown up things and talk about some video games for five minutes. Am I right? Yeah, sort out your priorities, on. Oh, anyway, Kevin, thank you so much for joining me and talking about superhero games. Uh, thanks for everyone for listening. If you could share this podcast with a friend, that would be dandy. Tell them that you 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 know this podcast with these guys that's had this amazing Daredevil game idea. <laughs> Make it for free. Almost, it'll cost yeah. nothing. Just, just please listen. <laughs> just please listen and please join us next time. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.